Father, we thank you for this wonderful passage we've just read. Thank you for this great event in history that we have read too. We thank you for the coming of the Holy Spirit, fulfilling the promises of God. And we pray that you'd help us to understand what's going on here, to marvel at it, to give thanks, but also to see its importance and relevance to us today. We thank you that the Holy Spirit is still with us. And Father, we pray that you would speak to us, please. You know our hearts, you know where we are before you. So we humble ourselves before you and ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you may change us and grow us in our faith. Amen. Think back to a church service or a seminar you've been in, perhaps, or a, a Christian Union talk where the theme or the topic that was being spoken of, being preached, was evangelism. What was your response? I wonder if any of these thoughts run through your mind. Oh no, not evangelism again. Evangelism is for the gifted, and that is not me. Oh, here comes another guilt trip. Yep, but none of my friends care, so why bother? I know that I should, but I don't know how. Or I can't, because I feel such a hypocrite. Maybe some of those go through your mind, maybe other things. Evangelism, in one sense, is one of those big overarching themes of our current series in Acts 1 and 2. The mission of the church to go out, to do evangelism, to spread the good news of Jesus around the world. The purpose of the new kingdom of Jesus given to the apostles is the same for the church today, for us here at Morden Road. It's part of our vision to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Last week, we looked at people. We looked at kind of preparing ourselves as a church to head out to do this mission. And we thought about the importance of prayer, particularly our need for God, to pray together, the importance of coming corporately to seek him, his wisdom, his guidance, as we trust him and follow him and the way he leads us as we head out to fulfill that mission and however that is relevant for us as a church. But maybe, maybe you still have those big questions in, in your mind about evangelism, what is my part, and it makes us uncomfortable. Many Christians are afraid of speaking about Jesus. Even the budding evangelists, those who love it, are afraid sometimes. It's a battle, a spiritual battle to be able to speak about Jesus. The opportunity to talk to your colleague at work comes up and you know you really want to make the most of the opportunity because it rarely happens. But you chicken out or you fumble your words or you think it wasn't the right opportunity, I will do it next time. Or how about the topic of conversation in the cafe with the other mothers and it's a really good chance for you to share your faith, but you're not quite sure how to argue against their really well-put put views and worldview, and you feel outnumbered with all the others, and, and you feel a bit of a hypocrite because you're yelling at your kids for running around the shop causing trouble, and it's hard. Or maybe you are talking with your neighbor, and you see that their house is so much nicer than yours. Their car is posher. 
They have a happy marriage, and you think, what difference will Jesus make to them? Their life is better than mine, and I'm the one who has Jesus. Often when we're talking about evangelism, we feel weak and inadequate. We lack the power and the motivation, the the right words to say, the boldness to say them. We feel like hypocrites. Well, if that is how you feel this morning, then let me introduce you to a group of believers who are meeting all in one place on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 and hear them say to you, welcome to the club. These 12 believers, especially those that are meeting here, have either do feel or have recently felt the same as you do when it comes to speaking up about Jesus. Remember the, just those last days of Jesus' life. The disciples, well, all they care about is who is the greatest and who will be the leader in the kingdom. But when Jesus is arrested, they all flee. Peter follows a little bit, but then he denies Jesus, and eventually they're all afraid and in hiding in fear of the religious leaders. Now Jesus is alive. They've come around a little bit. They've just been given this task. But who are these men to take the gospel to the world? They're young. They're just fishermen, ex-tax collectors from Galilee. Who are they? They're small in number. Their task is global. Surely they cannot do it. But as well as these apostles probably feeling ill-equipped and ill-prepared, I wonder if they are also pretty excited. Jesus, just before he was taken to heaven, said, stay in Jerusalem and wait, because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Flip back to chapter 1. Verses four and five, Jesus says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus had talked about the Holy Spirit during his ministry. You read particularly in John 14 to 16, a big chunk He tells us that the Holy Spirit is God. Come to his people. He's the advocate, the comforter, one who will come to remind his people of all that Jesus said, to give them peace, to come and dwell in them, within them. God will reside in their lives. And it's the fulfillment of the promise of Ezekiel. Ezekiel says this in chapter 36. He says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. So the apostles would have known this promise. They would have heard Jesus' teaching. They would be excited. And as they think about that day coming, they wondered what would it be like? Because for a Jew in the first century there, their knowledge and experience of the Holy Spirit was that he only ever came on certain people for a certain time and for a specific task. People were filled with the Spirit to design and build the tabernacle. Judges like Samson were filled with the Spirit to deliver God's people. Kings like David were filled with the Spirit to 
to serve and to rule God's people faithfully. But now the Holy Spirit is coming upon all people, just as the prophet Joel had said, a prophecy that Peter will go on to to say and announce in his sermon just a few verses after our passage today. So the Holy Spirit is coming, coming on all people. Acts chapter 2, he has arrived. And so let's see, let's see how the coming of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God for for the believers and how it is the power of God, how he is the power of God for the believers. Read with me from verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So there they are in the room, probably the same room they've been in the last 10 days since Jesus had gone to heaven. But then suddenly they hear this sound and they see something. They hear a sound like the blowing of a violent wind. Maybe it sounded something like this. Maybe a bit more violent. Or maybe not. But it would have, they heard a sound. It wasn't a wind because they weren't blown about like a tornado, but there was this whooshing sound like this, the wind. I joked with my home group that this week we're going to reenact Pentecost during the sermon. Well, we've had the wind, but I thought it may be against health and safety to bring a load of fire in here and put it on your heads. <laughs> but fire is what they see, or something like tongues of fire. I'm sure you've seen a typical artist's impression of what that might have looked like. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. That's not important. What they saw was these, these tongues of fire. And I think what the main point of what is going on here is what it symbolizes, what it points to. The wind and the fire symbolize the Holy Spirit in some way. Think back to John chapter 3, and Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, one of the religious leaders, and he describes the Holy Spirit like wind. Incidentally, wind and spirit are the same word in, in Greek. He says that the wind blows, you can't see it, but you see the effects, the leaves blowing on the ground. Same with the Spirit, he moves and he works, you can't see him, but you see the effects, and we'll see that in a moment. So the wind symbolizes the presence of God, so does fire. Think of Moses in the burning bush, God's presence, the holiness and the purity of God. The wind and the fire, for a Jew, may also help them to think back to Mount Sinai, that time when God came to meet with his people on the mountain. That first meeting, Israel had been rescued from Egypt. They'd come to meet God at the mountain, and he's there. And there's thunder and lightning and fire and crazy sounds, and they're terrified. God has come to meet with his people. He's come to form a relationship with them, to give them the law. His glory and his majesty are so 
great and grand that they, they fear him and they say, Moses, you, you go and talk with God. When they built the tabernacle, when they built the temple, the glory of God came and dwelt amongst the people. And now, now through this promise on the day of Pentecost, God's presence is coming to this room, but to the people. The Holy Spirit will fill the people. The new kingdom of Jesus is the people. The church are the people, and God will dwell with them. And so we read, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the apostles and these other believers had come to faith in Jesus at different points in, over those last three years. But certainly by the time of the resurrection and the ascension, they were all believers meeting together. But Jesus had only just left. He'd been with them. And the promise, the new covenant promise of the Holy Spirit coming to be with them all, couldn't be fulfilled while Jesus was with them. Remember Jesus' words himself. He says, unless I go, the advocate will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus has left, and now the Holy Spirit has come. As John Stott says, Pentecost inaugurates a new era of the work of the Holy Spirit. He'd been working already, but now this is different, it's new, it's not just for a few at a certain time, a certain place, but it's for all those who believe. A transition period has come, and so the Holy Spirit fills all these believers, all those who've trusted in Jesus Christ. And so the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God by his Spirit, is for all believers, for all those who trust in Christ. Not just for some, not just for those in the very beginning, we may not experience wind and fire, but the baptism with the Holy Spirit, as it's described here, is for all believers. And it happens when they trust in Christ. So this filling here in Acts 2 is the coming of the Spirit to his church to give them his presence, but then also his power. Paul says in Corinthians, we're all baptized by one Spirit. And so here the presence of God comes but of course, this is not to deny that there are occasions in the Christian life when the Holy Spirit can come upon a person in a new way, giving a new experience of the Spirit, and that's usually to give them power. Whether that is an experience of greater joy and peace, whether it's experience of increased faith and knowledge of him, or power to embolden them to speak for Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit should be an ongoing and a lifelong experience for all believers as, as he works within us in, in different ways, at different rates, and at different times. God, by his Spirit, grows us and matures us and makes us more like Christ. And so it's important for us to remember that there are no two, there's no two classes of Christians, those who have been baptized by the Spirit and those who have not all are baptized at conversion, but all can go on being filled with the Spirit. Paul says in, Rome, in Ephesians 5, to be filled with the Spirit as he empowers us to live and to serve for him.
if you are a Christian this morning, we can rejoice that God lives in us by his Holy Spirit. God has come to dwell within us. And when we think about our mission to do evangelism, knowing that God is with us, he's within us, surely makes all the difference. Because it doesn't matter who we are, what character we have, what spiritual gifts we have, how good or not good we are at articulating the gospel, God is with us. The Holy Spirit is that seal of our salvation. He's come to us all. And so the question this morning is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Have you trusted in him and therefore have received his Holy Spirit, his presence in you? The coming of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God for believers. But he is also the power of God for believers. What about this power? Let's look again at the passage. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. We've just seen how the Holy Spirit is the presence of God and and through him in uh, work in our lives, we grow in, in faith and our understanding and we mature. The Holy Spirit works in us to convict us of sin, which leads us to repentance. He works in us to give us his joy and peace and a hope that's within us that is good and we need, particularly in the face of opposition. The Holy Spirit helps to mold and shape us to be like Christ and to produce the fruit of the Spirit within us so we may live for him. The Holy Spirit does lots of things in the life of the Christian. When we look at this passage here in Acts 2, we see that as the coming of the Spirit for these believers, specifically, it says that they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Further down, Luke tells us that by tongues, he means languages. All the people who heard the sound of these people heard them talking in their own language. Picture the scene. It's Pentecost. It's a Jewish festival, a festival celebrating the harvest. And in Jerusalem, it's filled with people from all over the known world who have come there to celebrate and to bring offerings. So there's maximum publicity for this event as they celebrate together. These people have come from all over the known world, and Paul lists them. I'm not going to repeat, but here are the different places they came from. All these people have come, and they're gathered in the court, temple courts probably, and they, they hear this strange noise. They hear the excitement, the buzz. These believers are praising God. They've probably made their way down to the streets by now, and they hear them declaring the wonders of God, but they hear it in what would have been for the apostles foreign and unlearned languages. The people are amazed, verse 7. They ask, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? People from Galilee were not known for their great education and language. There's no way they would have have known these languages. They may not have even heard of these languages. 
languages, but yet they are speaking them. So their natural response is, how is it that we hear in our native tongue? Surely this is a miracle of God, a work of God supernaturally in their life. A power has come that they've never experienced before, a power to enable them to declare God's word boldly, a power that's come so that God-fearing Jews from all over the known world can hear it. And so that task that we saw in that first week in chapter one, that task to bear witness to Jesus of his death, of his resurrection, has suddenly begun with a bang. Pentecost has come. The Holy Spirit has come and, and God is reaping a harvest of souls. We'll see, maybe we'll see at the end of chapter two that many of those people who heard the gospel that day, 3,000 of them believed in Christ. They trusted in him. <clears throat> they believed. They too were filled with the Spirit. They went back to their homes and they took the gospel with them. And from this point on in Acts, we see that story, that message of the gospel going out into all the world. Some have also wondered whether well, Pentecost is also the wonderful picture of the reversal of the events of the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11, God confused the languages of the world as, as the people were wicked, seeking to be like God. The world became divided, but now because of the Spirit, the work of Christ to bring people back to God has come. To bring people back to one another has come. The gospel is for all people, and all people, whatever language they speak, can know Jesus and can know this good news. And that's a wonderful picture. It's also a wonderful glimpse of that last day when Jesus returns and people from all nations who speak all languages will worship God together. And so this event of Pentecost is a wonderful glimpse of that, a wonderful picture of the work of God. And because God is with them by, with his presence and he's given them power, these believers who were once timid and afraid, who were unskilled and lacking in the words, are now boldly proclaiming the good news of Jesus. These apostles particularly were given power to do great signs and wonders in the name of Jesus to authenticate their message. The power of God has come to equip them and resource them for their mission. And so this shows us that that power that came to them that is within us can help us too to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus so that people who are weak like you and me in his strength and in his power, we can do things that we could never do in our own strength. We can say things that would surprise us. We can have something within us, joy and a peace and a certainty that remains steadfast in the midst of whatever opposition comes our way. Of course, there are too many times when we fail in our evangelism. 
but because of the Holy Spirit's power in the lives of Christians, he can help us, and he does help us, and he will help us. It's because of the Holy Spirit's power that university students in the CU could invite their friends to evangelistic events, although terrified. It's because of the Holy Spirit that people who find it hard to know what to say or are able to answer tough questions from their non-Christian friends. It's because of the Holy Spirit's power that Christians have confidence in the gospel despite intellectual arguments. The Holy Spirit's power helped a school child to resist peer pressure. He helps those who are in prison for their faith. He helps you know what to pray in desperate times. And he helps us to become more like Christ so that people will see Christ in us and will come to know Jesus for themselves. All these examples are true testimonies of people who asked for the Holy Spirit's power to enable them to know what to do and what to say, particularly in evangelism. The Holy Spirit helps us. And so as we here this morning, as we go to fulfill this mission to proclaim Christ, as we come together, let's pray for his power. Let's ask him that as he gives us the power, that when we are in the coffee shop with our friends, when we are at the desk with our colleagues, or when we're talking with our neighbor, that he will help us to know what to say. He'll give us the confidence in the gospel that it's true. He'll help us to know that having the presence of God in us by his spirit is far greater than having a nice house and a posh car. He will help us understand. He will help us to have compassion on those who do not know Christ. So let us pray for the Holy Spirit's power that he may help us to be strong and faithful to him when people laugh at us. As a church, let's pray that he would help us and he'd give us power to be a church that proclaims Christ so that the name of Jesus will resound from all that we do. That the relationships that we have with the community will be soaked in the love of God and in his power. That he gives us the energy and all that we need to be able to love, reach, build, and send one another out into the world for the kingdom of Jesus. We thank God that on Pentecost, he sent the Holy Spirit for all believers. And we thank God that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he is with us every step of the way. And he gives us the power to do what we cannot do in our own strength. Let's do that right now. Let's, let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Holy Spirit Thank you that he is the, your presence, Father, Son, and Spirit within our lives. Changing us, transforming us, making us more like Christ. I thank you too that he is the power that we need to be able to live for you 
and to be able to speak for you. And Lord, as we think about the the mission of the new kingdom of Jesus that we are a part of, as we think about proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the world, we we are weak, we are ill-equipped, and we need you. We need your power, so please come fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the words to say. Give us confidence in the gospel. And we pray that by the power of your spirit at work in us, you may change other lives. You may bring people to know you. You may do great things in and amongst us for your glory and for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.